0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning. Uh, Really thankful to be back here this morning. Uh, My wife's here. And uh, not to put her on the spot, but thankful to be here with her. And then to uh, begin to have some familiar faces and then learning uh, some names, uh, relearning some names as well. And so just really thankful to be here this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. So I'll turn there uh, along with you, but find the book of James. If you find Hebrews, you're really close, come after that. And then chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 14 to the end of that chapter. Uh, verse 26, and so James chapter 2, and let me uh, read that aloud and follow in your copy of God's word if you would. So James chapter 2, starting at verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Father, as we uh, prepare to dig into your word, Lord, we agree together that this is your word. We need to hear from you. We need to hear uh, what you have spoken to us clearly through your word, and that we would see Christ through it, Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts. And so, Father, um, would you prepare our hearts even now? Lord, even as I preach, would you speak to me? Would you preach to me? And would I be changed? And so, Father, uh, we pray. that you'd be here now and we humble ourselves before your word and we say have your way in Jesus name. Amen. Well James uh, starts the way that I'm going to start then the same way and he starts with two questions. So I'm going to start with the same two questions that James began with and we read it in the first and you can see it there. In verse 14 he asked the question, what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith, but does not have works. What good is it if someone professes Christ, but there's no outward proof? What good is that? Now, if you are to answer that question, maybe your answer might be, well, it's not great. I mean, that's, that's less than ideal. But at least he's got faith. I mean, at least he professes Christ. Right? At least he's a churchgoer. You know, or maybe we'd say, well, he's got faith, but look, just be easy on him. He's pretty young. You know, he's got faith, but look, he's I mean he's pretty old. You know, just be easy on the guy. At least he's got faith. Well, the second question he asks is this well, can that faith save him? Well, the answer we would say is, well, of course. In Ephesians 2 8 to 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast so how do we answer these two questions well James isn't really a- asking two questions he's making two statements the rhetorical questions he's making a point and his point is crystal clear is his point is this and he says it twice in the text faith without works is dead that's his point you're not really ask, asking a question to, to get an answer as much as it's making a statement so faith without works is dead and if your faith is dead then your faith is useless and if your faith is, is, is useless then it's not really faith If it's not faith, it can't save you. And so, this morning from the text, this is not a call to add more works to your faith. It's not a call to be like, "Oh man, I gotta, I gotta just do a bunch of stuff." It's different than that. This is actually a call to test your faith and see if it actually works. And so, is your faith alive or dead? Three tests this morning to determine if my faith, if your faith, is alive or dead. And so here's the first, the usefulness test. The usefulness test. Look at verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that now you can hear that and say right away and and maybe you're thinking like oh here it is here's the first thing i need to do i need to look after the poor and then for sure my faith will be legit i need to feed the hungry if if people are cold i need to give them blankets and i would say maybe but that's not at all his point he's saying this again to give them a scenario that might have happened, that would have happened, would have been common to them. And again, he's making a point. He's saying, you can't just say things. You can't just say, go in peace and be warmed and filled to someone who's cold and hungry and not do something about it. You can't do that. What good is it, he says? Like, what is, what is the advantage to that? Well, again, it's rhetorical. It's not really a question. It's, There is no advantage. It's useless. Now, I don't know if you guys had the uh, ice storm that we had. You have have different weather here in Calgary than we do in Edmonton. Ours is much more manly and cold. (laughs) You guys have these Chinooks and stuff. But I don't know if you had the ice storm. We had, I don't know, you want to call it an ice storm, but we had rain and it froze. It's not really an ice storm. But I think it was Thursday morning. And I don't, did you guys have that? No? Okay, we had that up in Edmonton, and it was brutal. And there was vehicles everywhere. I think we may have had some fatalities. And so you can imagine that scene, and it's not hard to imagine. Around here you guys have ice for sure. You deal with it all the time, and maybe you, um, you talk to a paramedic, and he was on call that night. Wednesday night, Thursday morning. And this guy is super friendly. I mean, he's the most friendly paramedic you've ever met in your life. He's the most well-spoken, knowledgeable, top of his class. He knows everything about weather and road conditions. He knows all the numbers, all the stranded drivers. He's passionate. I mean, he talks about being a paramedic and just tears just instantly start flowing. But if he was on call and he did nothing that morning, Thursday morning, we would say he's useless. We'd even say, I think you're a little crazy. We might even say, I don't think you're going to be able to keep your job. And I'm not even sure if you're actually a paramedic. James says here in verse 17, so also faith, what you believe. I'm a paramedic. I believe in saving lives. He says, so faith, what you believe by itself, if it does not have works, is dead and it's a little crazy and a dead faith is useless and a dead faith cannot save and so a question for you and I is is our faith useful is it directing how you speak and how you how you act how you think and i'm not talking about like Has it maybe done that once? Did you do one act? You know, were you baptized once? Did you pray a prayer once? Did you give a blanket to someone who was cold once? You know, when you think about works, are you thinking back to an event, a one-time event, and nothing more? Faith without works, meaning meaning present, the character of your life. And not perfectly. This isn't saying if you don't do things perfectly, then you're not saved. It's, is the character of your life showing fruit? Is it working because of your faith? So we're, we are, um, it's always weird to say we're planting a church. Christ plants his church, but you know what I mean. And so up in Edmonton, we are praying about the Lord, planning a church there, a new work. Um, Excited. We've got uh, right now about 20 adults that have said, yes, we're in. So man, like, he's really excited for this. So we've had some vision nights. We've got a vision night coming up again. I don't know if you guys know, do you have the pillars up here? Oh, we're missing the six distinctives. You probably all have your six distinctives memorized, right? We're going through those right now. If you didn't know that, maybe you've got Redemption Welcome. You're going to start to hear about these, and then Essentials. You're going to hear more about them. But as a GCC Church, Redemption Church, you've got six distinctives. It's things that we believe. It's things that we hold to. We would say this is this is in the Scripture. They're simple and they're non-negotiable. And so, in the Vision Night, this is fresh on my mind right now because we're planning a church, and people are like, "What are you about?" Well, I want to go through the six distinctives, and I want to kind of put those to the test for you. So, so let's go through these things that we say that we believe. And even if you've never heard these before, uh, if you're in the Lord, I would say you probably believe these. Certainly, all of us have heard of these. So, the first would be this: fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. So, we believe in fervent prayer, earnest prayer. But are you praying? Are we praying? Is the only time you and I pray at supper time, meal times? Are you praying? You know those times where you're like, "Man, I don't want to pray, but I need to pray because I believe in prayer." Are you praying? Uh, two passionate worship, passionate worship. We can't help but talk about, express about, share what we worship. Are you a worshiper of Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you talk about Christ? Is that what you're about? What would your friends say that you're actually about? Are you a worshiper of Christ? Three, bold preaching. What emboldens you? What gets you fired up where people are like, look, stand down? Don't don't be so bold. What emboldens you? Is it the word of God? Does God's word direct you? Do you boldly preach? I'm not saying come up here at the pulpit necessarily, but we're all preachers. What, What message are you preaching? Who are you preaching? A for purposeful disciple making. We say we believe in that for sure. It's pretty rare that even what I've gone through so far, people would say like, "Wow, well, I'm not really into that." I think everyone in this room would say, "No, we're into making disciples." Man, that's what we're about, right? That's our mission. Okay, well, are you isolating yourself? Are you in a small group? Are you in community? You're fervently praying about people speaking into your life that you'd be discipled and then looking to make disciples. What are you doing about it? The five, courageous evangelism. When you talk with the unsaved, what gospel are you sharing right now? I believe in courageous evangelism. I'm bold about it. Well, what, what gospel are you sharing? Is it vaccine gospel or the non-vaccine gospel? Is it the mass gospel or the non-mass gospel? Is it the gospel of one day restrictions will be lifted and we'll all be free? You believe in courageous evangelism. Does your faith show that Well, what you're doing? Six, strategic church planning, the last one. Strategic church planning. We want to see other churches planted. We want to see the gospel go forth. want people to hear the good news. Um, Are you serving? Are you serving in this church? Are you giving? Are you giving towards this mission? Are you giving to this church? Is your faith faith useful? Now it's sobering, and it's meant to be sobering. James is, and you can see the language here. We've gone through the text. James is not um, mincing words. He's not beating around the bush. What are you trying to say, James? And this is meant to be sobering. This is meant to be heavy. God's word is strong on this. Faith by itself, no matter what you believe, and if it's six distinctives, and man, they're rock steady, but by itself, it's dead. And so the first test is the usefulness test. Is my faith doing something? Is it working? And then second, the demonic test. The demonic test. Verse 18. But someone will say. There's always someone who's got something to say. There's always a rebuttal. But you know, we hear this and James has just said, look, it's, it's not negotiable. Faith without works is dead, period. And then someone always speaks up. But, but. someone will say what? Someone will say, And there it is in verse 18, you have faith and I have works. I'm more of a faith guy. And I'm just kind of more of a, just believe, kind of more spiritual. This is kind of my nature, more hopeful. Or maybe someone says, well, I'm actually more of a works guy, kind of more blue collar, kind of get it done, more practical, more hands-on. But faith without works is dead, and you can't pick and choose one. There is no room for someone might say, you know, I. One of the conversations that has never left me that I had with one of my best friends, and it so impacted me that I wouldn't be surprised if I shared it last time that I preached here. I was talking with this friend of mine; he's a pastor as well, and we were just kind of shooting the breeze. And I said to him, you know what, I, I, if I had to err on something, I'd rather err on wrath than love. If I'm preaching the gospel, I'd rather err on the side of wrath than love. And I said, the reason is, is because at least people would know there's a problem. At least because all the watered down preaching, you know, at least you'd know there's a problem and God help me, I have to do something about it. And he said to me, yeah, yeah but you can't do that. I said, no, nah, yeah, I know I'm just talking to you as a pastor, man. Just as a friend. I just, if I had to pick, and he's like, yeah, but you can't pick. I, I know you. I know you can. I'm just saying. If you, and he's like, but you can't. And he wouldn't let it go. I was like, just let it go, man. I'm just saying. And he's like, but you can't. And I want you to hear that. And that's what James is saying here. You can't do that with wrath. And justice and love and grace you can't say I'm kind of more this and not so much that or you can't separate them one doesn't make sense without the other and vice versa and the same is true with faith and works you can't separate them it's not an option and so this is why James demands proof look what he says in verse 18 he says show me The the, the, the the tense here of what he is saying is get on it, get at it, show me now right now show me your faith apart from your works let's see it right now and I will show you my faith by my works he says you're a faith guy okay where's your proof? right now, show me not tomorrow, right now now. It's, it's interesting, and I, this still happens today, but when I was a kid, we would hear rumors of celebrities who, you know, came to Christ. Hey, did you hear so-and-so's a Christian? I don't know that still happens, especially with kids, it seems we're all talking about it. You hear Michael Jackson's Christian? No way, no way, yeah, no, that's what I heard. You know, yeah, 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 he said he loves Jesus. Well, like every rapper on earth who gets some award says he loves Jesus, but you just, oh, he said Jesus. He, did, did you hear so-and-so's a Christian? We do that with celebrities, and quite honestly, I think we do this as a culture with family members. We do this with people that we desperately so want them to be saved. Just 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 say it. Just say you love Jesus. Perfect. Did you hear one of my family members is a Christian? They just said, Jesus is King. And we're content with that. That's good enough for me. I mean, who's to judge? I'm not even praying for their salvation anymore. I want to take you back again to the paramedic illustration. There's an accident, we'll say, on the highway, and the paramedic comes up and he says, hey, I'm a paramedic, and I believe in saving lives. And there's been an accident, and someone's life is on the line, and they're right there. Would we be content to be like, that's fantastic. I'm just curious who is a paramedic and who believed in saving lives. That's good enough for me. We wouldn't, right? Say, that's fantastic. Now get on it and prove it. Let's see you at least attempt to. Attempt to prove that you believe what you believe, and we wouldn't be content to let it go. Where's the proof? And so this is why in verse 19, James is so forceful. He says, look, you believe that God is one. That is good. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.4. And the Jews would have known this. This is, you know, God is one, Deuteronomy 6.4. Well, this is like our today's John 3.16. Like, you believe that? You believe Deuteronomy? God is one. You believe John 3.16? For God so loved the world? Okay. So do the demons. Wow. You do well, he says. Even the demons believe. He's almost mocking them. Oh, you do well. That's good. You know, way to go. But the demons believe this. Did you know that? And not only do the demons believe, they shudder. The demons, they believe the same thing. They're terrified. Did you know that? Are you terrified? Do you have that level of faith that the demons have? So you can see what God's spirit is saying to us this morning through his word maybe you believe in God the demons do you believe in God and and you believe as long as you can remember you grew up in a Christian home well the demons have believed longer you know your Bible the demons know it better you've heard hundreds of sermons the demons have heard more and they've heard Christ preach you fear God The demons fear God, and they shudder. That word shudder is bristle, and you know what he's getting at. The hairs on the back of their neck, so to speak, bristle. They, whoa, God, and they shudder. And yet they are still enemies of God. The demons are still enemies of God with that high-level faith. They're still enemies. They haven't repented. They've not committed their lives to the glory of Christ. Do we hear this this morning? So the question is with your high level faith, have you repented of your sin? With your faith, yes, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Have you repented? Have you turned? Have you come to trust in Christ and commit your life to Him? Are you truly a worshiper of Him, a promoter of Him? Do you believe that He was your substitute? Do you believe Jesus Christ in your place? Do you believe His death fully paid the penalty for your sin? Complete. Done. Over You you don't have to add any more to it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he was a righteous one, the righteous one that that credits his righteousness to you? Do you believe that? That he died, that he rose from the grave, that he's sitting on the throne and he's coming back. If you believe that, the demons also believe that. But have you repented then? Have you given your life then to Christ? you believed with faith that changes them, that repentance that turns around and now goes after Christ. Have you done that? There are people that serve in ministry. Some of my best friends I've served alongside. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. And they're saying things and then, and then they're gone. Because I believe they never truly repented. They knew a lot of good stuff. And James is saying, that's not enough. Believe, and then from that belief, your life will show it. And so repent and believe. And if, if you're answering, yes, I believe in these things, yes, then I would say this. Are there then areas in your life that it's as if they are dead? Areas of your, of your faith that it's as if it's on life support. You were saved, but there are areas that it's like it's dead. And I remember I woke up once, alarm clock, and I slept funny, and my arm was so asleep, I couldn't even feel it. I went to shut my alarm off, and I I couldn't. It was like this out-of-body experience. (laughs) Is there a portion of your faith that it's as if it's dead? I would say the same. Repent and come back to that belief that you have. Now, I want to try to illustrate this for you and we'll have an illustration here on the screen, a graphic, I believe. Do we have that? No? Yes? No? Like this? Okay, I think no. Okay, so so picture with me, if you will. A heart, okay? So you've got a heart on the top, inside of that heart, and you can write this, it's simple, you can draw this out if you want right now. the top of that heart is my spoken theology my spoken theology you ask me questions this is what I say I believe and I believe it okay and then on the bottom of that heart my lived out theology okay spoken theology at the top bottom lived out theology in the center put the gap of unbelief what I say what I live out And then in between, the gap of unbelief. And what that's illustrating for, and you can put an arrow from that center gap going up to spoken theology, and you can put an arrow from the center gap, gap of unbelief, down to lived out theology. Hopefully you got that. You can ask me, I'll send it to you. You're going to be so excited to see the actual graphic. (laughs) Here's the point. As believers, this is the challenge and I would say every day I have a spoken theology. I am saved. I cannot lose my salvation. It is a sure thing because of Christ. He has won that for me. But what I say and what I do doesn't always match up. Oftentimes there is a gap to what I say I believe and to what I'm actually living out. So to give you some examples of this and this would be for me and and again one of my biggest struggles the approval of man okay so I say I am approved by Christ yes I believe that man I believe that since I came to Christ when I was eight years old but yet my lived out theology many times is living for the approval of man so I say one thing but I live out another thing and it doesn't mean that I'm not saved but it means when I'm doing that it's as if my faith is dead and I need to repent when that comes and I see that and then minimize that gap so that what I say matches what I do you say I know God is sovereign but yet everything that you are doing and saying right now is trying to secure safety and security in your life yeah yeah but I know God is sovereign ever had that you you see things in people's lives you say yeah I'm seeing a concern say "No, no no I know that well this is what we're talking about yeah you know it but there's a gap to what you're doing right now and saying and so the constant struggle then is to constantly, and this is a good effort, and this is, this is good when, when it happens, when you bring that gap then and minimize that. And there's freedom and there's joy in that, and then our faith is working. Faith and works go hand in hand, and faith without works is dead. And so a three test to determine if my faith is alive or dead, the usefulness test, the demonic test, and then finally the pressure test. The pressure test look at verse 20 it says do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless now I'm pretty sure the answer is uh, yes yes I want to be shown do you want to be so- he doesn't just say hey do you want to see it he says you foolish person I mean James is just so clear Okay, yeah, I think I want to I see it. All right, show me. All right, so that's what he's going to do. So he does this by giving two examples of faith working under pressure, and the first is Abraham. Okay, the first is Abraham. So stay with me here. I'm going to try to explain uh, a bit of a heavy description of what's going on here. It's really important that you stay with me, that you see why did James bring this up? Okay, so, so track with me here. Genesis 12 and Genesis chapter 15. We hear that. It's recorded that God made Abraham, then he was called Abram, changed his name, and God made Abraham a promise. And that promise was that the nations would be blessed through him, ultimately through Jesus, God, he says, and that through Abraham, through Abraham's offspring, he would have uh, offspring as many as the stars. Okay, so that's the promise. The nation's going to be blessed, man. You're going to have so many kids, so many offspring. it's going to be just like the stars in the sky. Now, we're told in Genesis 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed this. He believed the Lord, even though he didn't even have a son, and he was getting older, and he, that is the Lord, counted it sorry, counted it to him as righteousness. Salvation. He believed it. It was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't move a muscle. God made the promise. He didn't do anything. He just believed. And he was saved, saved by grace, through faith. And so Romans chapter four. Okay, so this event happened. Romans 4 speaks about it. Romans 4, verses 2 to 3, confirms this. Paul says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. He can brag. But not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he says he's saved by grace. He didn't move a muscle, and he was saved. So then James, in verse 23... Okay, so back to our passage. In verse 23, James is quoting the same event in Genesis 15:6. He says, "Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness." But James isn't referring to that moment. He's actually referring to decades later, decades later, when um, now God has put them to the test." So Genesis 22 it's recorded for us in Genesis 22. Abraham and Sarah, they've struggled to have kids. This promise has been made. They have not been able to have kids. Finally, a son is born to them. His name's Isaac. Abraham and Sarah are so old. I love this. Hebrews 11 says they're as good as dead. So they're not banking on having any more kids. They're as good. I love that. They're as good as dead. Okay. So they're not having no more kids. And God says, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac. And Abraham says, Okay. And he gets up early in the morning and he goes to do it. He's going to obey. And God stops him right before he does it. But why would Abraham do that? If Isaac dies, the promise is over, it's all over. Well, Abraham's going to do it because he believed. He had faith that God would keep his promise. Hebrews also says he believed so much so that he's like, I'm going to kill Isaac and God will raise him from the dead. We're told that in the scriptures. That's what was going on in his heart and his head. The man believed with faith and it was proved by what he did. And so verse 21, James says to us, Abraham our father was justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you might be thinking like, okay, what? Like I've been tracking with you, but like why would he say it that strong? He's justified by his works. Well, he kind of explains it in verse 22 and look. He says, see, you see that faith, that is Abraham's faith, was active along with his works. So, so was active along. It cooperated with his works. It caused the works, and faith was completed by works. It's the idea, like kind of like finished the race. You see, they they go hand in hand. James is saying. So by faith he he uh, and sorry and he was called a friend of God, and so by faith he obeyed, as opposed to the world who who is not a friend of God and doesn't obey. And then verse 24, you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. There's a phrase, and I think Martin Luther gets the credit, I think. I'm pretty sure there's some debate, but regardless, uh, it's from the Reformers, and it's this, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, just like Abraham. But the faith that saves is never alone. The Lord didn't come to Abraham with a big questionnaire. He didn't come decades later and be like, all right, hey, spend some time. I I want you to go through and answer some things for me. Here's your questionnaire. Do you believe I keep my promises? Well, yes. Yes. Will the nations come from your children, particularly Isaac? Uh, Yes. Uh, Am I powerful and faithful to do this? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. He doesn't do that. He doesn't come with a questionnaire. Instead, what God does is he turns up the pressure, he turns up the heat, and he brings Abraham through the most difficult experience imaginable to test whether his faith is alive or dead. And we know it to be alive. And he does the same with Rahab, and that's the second example. Second example of faith under pressure. Verse 25. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So James is making a reference to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, news has just reached Jericho, a pagan city, and they have heard about this army, about this nation, Israel. They've heard about the parting of the Red Sea. They've heard about uh, the Egyptians and how they died. Pharaoh's army died. They heard about kings and cities being destroyed, and they, they almost literally can like, hear the footsteps coming. And so... Uh, Rahab runs into two of, the, of Israel's spies and tells them, she tells them this in verse 11 of Joshua 2, our heart melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And then she acknowledges and it seems with faith for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. What a, what a statement. She's not just saying, save my life. She's saying, no, you're God. He's God. So we look at this and say, well, dude, it looks like like Rahab had faith. We know what she did after that then, and James tells us she hid the spies. She sent them on their way. And so this wasn't easy believism. They didn't say, hey, you just need to pray this. No, she did something about it. What she did about it put tremendous pressure on her life. What she did meant that she was going to lose her reputation. Rahab the prostitute, wasn't much reputation left. It was going to be Rahab the prostitute, right, and the traitor. What she did meant risking her life. If the king finds out, I'm dead. If the king finds out, my family's dead. Or we'll, 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 we'll wish that we were dead. What she did got even more terrifying. It's interesting because Scripture tells us that her house was on the, in the city wall. If we had kids here, I would ask, do you guys know what happened to Jericho? Didn't go well with the walls. There's some wall damage. And the walls came down, right? And so she's in the walls and the spies say, okay, stay put and we'll come back for you. You gather your family, you stay here and don't move a muscle. I often thought about that. Can you imagine... The marching, the trumpets, and then the, then st- things start shaking. I've never been in an earthquake. I'd imagine it felt just like that. And the rubble and the dust and everyone's running for their lives and they know what's coming and everything in them says, run. And Rahab and her family didn't move. Why? Because they were just so brave? No, because they had faith in God, the God of heavens and earth. Her faith was alive, and what she did under pressure proved it. And so to close, uh, some application then from this. You know, like Abraham and Sarah, you will face pressure. You will face pressure. And regardless of the context, regardless of the feelings, regardless of the risk, your faith must drive your response. My faith must cause me to do things I wouldn't otherwise do. It's not easy. Maybe it feels like to you right now your world is crumbling. Maybe for you, and some of this is maybe directly faith-related, persecution, and others is just what the world we live in. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your reputation is on the line. Maybe for you you see no perceived good in obeying the Lord. There's no perceived end game. I can't see how this is going to go well. And you feel the pressure of that. And maybe you feel the pressure of raising kids today. Maybe you feel the pressure within your marriage and within relationships. And popular opinion says, and the the voices around you say, do this and think that and hope this and trust in that and listen to this. And maybe common sense says, run and look after yourself. But faith says, God, God is Let me tell you what God has done. Faith says, no, no, God has promised. No, listen to me. God has commanded. That's what our faith does in that. And faith then must drive our action regardless of the cost. And so so this is why James concludes the way he does in verse 26. He says for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead You can't separate the spirit from the body it don't go well You do that it's dead He's saying the same is true with our faith it's inseparable So the point is clear faith without works is dead Going through the text, we've gone through three tests then the usefulness test, the demonic test, and then the pressure test. And then, just to say this uh, for some of you this morning, you know, for me, I was saved uh, when I was eight years old in a church setting like this. Heard the gospel many times, heard of who the Lord was, would have said I believed all those things, but I didn't. I did not have faith. And for some of you this morning, no doubt there's someone here who is lost, who has a high level maybe of faith. I'm saying to you, if you have not come to trust in Christ and repent of your sin, not just forced into it, man, I've forced people into prayers like this before. As a pastor in my past, I have forced people into saying things that was without faith. Even if you've prayed a prayer, I would say today, if you do not believe in Christ, then repent of your sin. Repent now. The time is urgent, there is no time to waste. And believe in Christ. Turn from your sin, believe in Him as your Savior. And for some of you today, there's areas in your life, it'll be like me, where the Holy Spirit is showing you, and that it is as if your faith is dead in that area. Your arm is asleep. It's as if it's on life support. You say this, but you're not living this. And I would say, if the Lord is revealing those areas to you this morning, then repent. Repent and receive God's forgiveness and mercy and grace and life. And I would say then for uh, those of us as well uh, in that camp, uh, today if you have faith and in, in it's alive, then live as it's alive. And continue to persevere, hold true to Christ. And may Christ be glorified as we do that. So let me uh, pray. Let's pray together. So Father, Lord, we, um, we again, we pray by your Holy Spirit you would apply your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are God Almighty. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ. Lord, we pray that you would... Um, Work in our hearts that for some of us we'd have the courage, Lord, and humility to admit our sin and to come to Christ for salvation. Lord, you will not turn any away, but today is the day of salvation. And Lord, for others of us, Lord, I pray if there's areas in our life where we are not living as if this is true, then Father, I pray that you would forgive us, reveal those areas, Lord, here's where we say, man, Christ is all satisfying, but we spend hours and hours playing video games or on the television. Lord, God, forgive us. You are satisfying. Show us that you are satisfying. Lord, would you reveal different areas to us, and Lord, we pray that we would respond in faith, you would restore us, Lord, and give us the joy of our salvation. And so, Father, you are worthy. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, Amen.